Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. Okay, here we go. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. For is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Father, I thank you for this beautiful picture of the gospel. Uh, Father, it's got hard words in it. Um, it's It's a complicated group of sentences. And so, Lord, I pray for your help today that we might see all the beauty, God, that we might explore every corner, every nook and cranny of of this glorious gospel accomplished for us by our King. Father, work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now part of what's hard about Romans 3, there's a lot of things hard about Romans 3. It's hard language, it's um, hard concepts, but part of what is, is hard about it is that Paul is, is solving a problem that a lot of us might not even consider a problem. Okay? Now, now, the problem is this. How in the world is God going to not send you to hell? <laughs> like, how can that happen? You know, when, how, how, how can God justify you? How can you be okay with God? How can you not suffer forever the punishment of your sins? How is God going to do that? How can God be ever okay with us as sinners? Now, the reason I say it's a question that not everybody's even thinking about is because, you know what I think a lot of people would say? Well, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, God should just let me go free, you know? I mean, I'm a good guy. He's a good guy. He likes OU. I like OU. You know, we we should just be, God should just kind of just brush that under the rug, okay? Now, see, God can't do that. And I actually think if you'll think about it a little further, you realize God can't do that. What if you're driving down Main Street this week? You see this parade of orange jumpsuits. Just like, just, just a whole, you know, hundreds, okay? And they're all coming out of the county jail, and, and they're all just, you know, woohoo, you know, just celebrating, high-fiving, you know, happy as can be, and you kind of stop, and it's a little puzzling, you know, and so you roll down your window, and you ask somebody, what, what's going on here? 
And, and they tell you, they say, well, the judge has just walked in the jail and he's declared everybody righteous. You know, the crimes are no longer held against them. They're perfectly free. You know, nothing is held against them. They're free to go, you know? Now, I wonder if some of you would say, does he really have the right to do that? Is that okay? I mean, let's say the guy goes from there to Fort Supply and does the same thing. Then he goes from there to, you know, San Quentin. And, you know, I mean, he what? I mean, is that all right? Is everybody okay with that? And probably you're going to say no. I don't think that he has the right to just wipe that all away. Okay? Now, again, that makes sense to us. But when it comes to us, we struggle a little bit because I don't think we see ourselves as criminals. Now, if we had time to have two sermons this morning, don't panic or throw up. We're not going to. But if we did, you know, we could just back up a little in Romans 3 and see that, man, he's already kind of answered this, okay? So Romans 3, 10, here's what he says about all of us. This is a hard pill to swallow, okay, but here it is, ready? None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under the lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are rent in misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He's talking about us, right? How do I know that? Well, man, he trips over himself. You know, no one, no one, no one understands, no one. You know, all together, not even one. He says that, not even one. Okay, so he's talking about us. We are criminals in God's court. He goes on in verse 23, probably the most memorized verse in this, this chapter. 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Fall short of the glory of God. When I was little, they, they told me, and this is true, that, that one of the words for sin means to miss the mark. And so you know what, you know, my, my kid brain, you know what I thought? I was like, all right, you know, because I, I even saw this done. A preacher like got a, a bullseye and he had a bow and arrow, you know. It's really kind of a graphic, you know, image, cool image, okay. But here's what I always thought of myself. I always thought of myself aiming for that bullseye of God's glory, of righteousness, and letting go of my arrow. And, man, it just barely grazes the bullseye, just, you know, right in that next circle. I almost got it, okay. And then as I grew a little older, I realized, you know what, I'm not, I'm not even hitting the target. My arrow is actually falling short of the bullseye. And then as I began to read the Bible even more, Here's what I realized. I'm not even shooting at the target, all right? I mean, the target is there, and I'm shooting back over here, all right? And that, that's actually accurate. Remember what Romans 1, 23 said? We've gone back to this every week, okay? Romans 1, 23 says the root of sin is this, that mankind has exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling himself, okay? The root of sin is that every one of us has said, I'm not interested in you, God. I don't want you. I don't want your glory. I don't want your truth. I don't want your word. I mean, I'm just, I'm no offense, just not interested. I, I, I would rather have something else. I'd rather have me. I'd rather have my own desires. I'd rather have money. I'd rather have pleasure. I'd, I'd rather have anything else, but I really am not interested in you. And in that way, we have fallen short of the glory of God. That's the story of mankind. I mean, it's everywhere. Think about Christmas, okay? When Christmas time comes, you read the birth story. What happens when the king of the world steps out of heaven, okay? He steps out of heaven into human flesh, and he comes to visit us. What happens? The first thing that happens is he cannot even get a motel room, okay? Do you remember that in the story? I mean, nobody will even take him in, right? I mean, nobody wants him. I mean, and then when they do find out who he is, Herod kills all the baby boys in Bethlehem trying to kill him. 
He's got to flee to Egypt. He comes back. 33 years, he lives a righteous life, healing and, and, and doing good and teaching. And what do they do for that? They crucify him. I mean, the entire story of Jesus is this. We don't want you. We don't want your glory. Now, this is compounded by the truth that the world is a display of God's glory. Why does everything exist? We, we kind of looked at this in chapter 1. Why does everything exist that exists? You know why? For the glory of God. That's why everything's created. That, that's why God made all that he did and said it was good. All is created, all is made for the glory of God. Okay? Mankind made for the glory of God. We're meant to run on God's glory. Okay? Our engine, the engine of your life, is meant to run on the high-octane fuel of God's glory. All right, I mean, that's when it zips and runs and everything clicks and you're satisfied. But you know what we've all said? I'm not putting glory in my, in, in my gas tank. No, no, I don't want that. Remember, 123, we've exchanged the glory of God for other things. I don't want that. I'm going I'm to put other things in my gas tank. How about some garbage? How about, how about some waste? How about some vegetable oil? How about, you know, I'm going to put other things. I'm going to see how my life runs, and it doesn't run. Okay, and so, so what the Bible is saying here is that we've all missed it. The big thing in all of life, the glory of God, we've all denied it. We don't want it. We're fallen. We've sinned against God. Really, every sin is a sin against God. When you're mean to your neighbor, it's a sin against God. Genesis 39, 9. Remember that passage where Joseph is uh, tempted by Potiphar's wife? She wants to have a, an immoral relationship with him. She grabs him. Hey, come lie with me. Remember what he says? He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? 2 Samuel chapter 12, David commits adultery with Bathsheba. Remember what God says to him? Verse 9, chapter 12, why have you despised the word of the Lord? David, why have you hated my word? Think about that. When, when you sin against God, you, you've hated his word. It gets even stronger, verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me. Now David would have never said, nor would you or me, we'd never say, man, I hate God. Right? You wouldn't do that. Someone, someone gets real, you get real irritated at somebody and you're mad as a hornet at them, you know, and you're wanting revenge. And your Christian brother comes up and says, why do you hate God? What do you say? Right? You, now you're mad at them, right? I don't hate God. Well, yeah, but he's given you his truth. He's given you his glory. He's done everything for you. And you're saying, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want, I want what I want. Right? All sin is an attack on God's glory. So God's glory is the main issue of the universe. Now, that's been offended. So how, how is God going to make that right? So you've got a world full of people that have, have said, I don't want you. I deny the reason I'm made. I deny the reason the world is made. I don't want, I'm going the other direction. I'm not even trying for your glory. I'm shooting in the other direction. How's God ever going to make that right? How is that going to be made right? How are you going to be made right with God? Okay, well, let me tell you the not the answer. Sometimes it's helpful to go not the answer and then the answer, okay? So not the answer is my own good works, okay? So Hebrews 3.20 
or not Hebrews, Romans 3.20, the passage we're in. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. You can't be justified by your good works, okay? Go down to verse 28, it says the same thing. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So first of all, it doesn't work for you not to come in and say, oh, okay, we messed things up, I haven't loved God, I haven't served God, I've rejected God, I've despised God. And so my way of solving that is I'm gonna get up and come to church on Sunday morning. That ought to be worth a lot of points. You know, I'm even gonna open up my Bible and read it this week. I'm gonna not you know, kill my neighbor because I'm really mad at him. So, you know, that ought to be sufficient. That ought to be good. Folks, you know what that's like? That's like a man murdering someone's child and then coming face to face with them and saying, you know what? I need to make this right. Here's a carnation. They were on sale at Walmart. I stopped by Walgreens. I got a Hallmark card. It says, I'm sorry for your loss. There. Okay. Are we square? We good? That's two good works. Those are both nice things. Probably not going to make things right. In the same way, your sin cannot make you, your good works cannot make your sin right with God. So, here's the beauty of today's passage. What can make it okay for God to forgive us? What makes that okay? So, verse 22 says, The righteousness of God, so God being right, this, this has a two, two, two-fold meaning. God being right in forgiving us and then making us righteous, okay? That's the righteousness of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's how it's going to happen. Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, verse 23, or I'm sorry, 24 and 25 are the key verses that I want to go through. Now, let's everybody, let's sharpen our attention up, okay? All right, so here's why we need to do this. Because Whenever I read verse 24 and 25, you ever, you ever watch Charlie Brown? And there's that one guy on there, and, he, and like when he talks, it sounds like, wah, 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 wah. You, you know? You know what I'm talking about? When I, when I read 24 and 25, I, like I've, I've gone through Romans a bunch with guys in, in early morning or early morning discipleship time. And whenever I'm driving to McDonald's, I'm like, okay, what are we doing today? Oh, it's Romans 3. I always like kind of have a, because ah, it's just hard, right? Like, like, listen, listen to this, okay? 24 and 25. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, how, how many of you, when I read that, it's kind of like, you know, it's just not clicking. And one of the reasons is, those are hard words, right? I mean, who used propitiation near the cantaloupe yesterday at Walmart, right? <laughs> Nobody did. I mean, those are hard words. And so, and so what, what let's do, what let's do is let's think hard about what do, what is he saying here? Okay, how, how, is it, how is it okay for God to let you go free? Okay, if you're not going to burn in hell forever because of your sin against God, how is that going to happen? And how is it okay for you not to? This answers it. Okay, you ready? Verse 24. And are justified by his grace. Okay, let's take justified. What does it mean to be justified? Well, the word means to declare righteous. Now, now notice, it doesn't mean to try to be righteous. That, that's a different word. It doesn't mean that. It, it, it doesn't mean try to do better. It doesn't mean, well, I've made some real improvements. It doesn't mean, well, I'm doing better than I used to. No, it doesn't mean any of that. It means for a judge to declare you righteous. It means for someone to slam the gavel down and say, you are now righteous. You are now just. You are now innocent. It is a declared righteousness. Now, how does it come? He's very clear here. Verse 24. 
and are justified by what? By His grace. And then just, just to make sure we don't miss it, He adds, as a gift. Those two mean almost the same thing, okay? By grace, as a gift. What is grace? Grace is without merit, unmerited favor. It is, it is without being earned. You, you, you don't work for it. You don't deserve it. You didn't do anything to, to get it. Okay, it is, it is a gift to you. It is a righteousness transplant. It is justification thrust upon you without you deserving it, without you earning it. Okay, grace as a gift. Many of you may have learned the acronym for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. I think that's pretty good. Okay, it's God giving you his riches at somebody else's expense. Okay, so what is grace? Grace is you're the running back. Okay, quarterback. Snaps the ball, hands it to you. You got the ball. You take one step, one, and you trip over your own feet, okay? You face plant into the grass. You're not holding on to the ball good enough. It squirts out the side. The other team recovers it. It's a 15-yard loss on the play. The referee looks at your pitiful self on the ground Touchdown. Touchdown. You just scored a touchdown. Did you? Some of you, you don't, you don't know nothing about football. You're like, all right. Touchdown. Is that how that works? I always wondered. No, you didn't score a touchdown, okay? You, you blew it. You, 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 you tripped. You fell. You went the wrong way. How'd you get a touchdown out of that? The only way you're getting a touchdown out of that is grace as a gift. It's got to be given to you. Okay, so let's stop right here. What have we learned so far? How, how are we ever going to be made right? We're going to be made right by grace as a gift, God declaring us to be righteous. Now, we've, we haven't solved this thing. We've just made it worse, haven't we? Right? So... So that's how you're saved, okay? By the grace of God as a gift, you being declared righteous. Why is that okay? I mean, you have spent your life dishonoring God. You've spent your life not wanting Him. You've spent your life blowing Him off, ignoring Him. How's it okay that now you're declared righteous? Let's keep reading. Ready? Verse 24. And are justified by His grace as a gift through, here it is, ready? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All right, redemption. What does redemption mean? Redemption means a ransom payment. It means to buy back. It was used in the slave market when someone would buy a slave and set them free. They would pay the price for the slave and then release them. You would go free because a price had been paid for you. Okay, so now we're getting somewhere. So how is God able to set the sinner free? He's able to by paying a ransom price, redeeming them. And then look at this, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so how does this work? Well, you guys have gone shopping before, right? In order to buy something, you have to have more or less money than it costs. Oh, man, you guys don't know this. No wonder you keep getting arrested, okay? More! More! 
Okay, so I do this in my office all the time. I draw it on a piece of paper. We'll just do it visually here. So your sin, all right? So, so here's angel right here, angel. That's angel level, okay? And this is devil level, okay? So angel, devil, where are you at on this? How much have you sinned? Okay, now let me, let me just tell you where most people come in. When I ask them about their self, here's what almost everybody does. They pick the middle, and they go just like a hair above the middle. That, you know, they, I think they're trying to be humble. And so they go, but you know what's funny? <laughs> it's not funny. It's actually pretty sad. But, but when, a lot of times I have couples in who are having marital problems. You know, they're about to get divorced. And so I'll go through this, and I'll ask them, where is your husband's sin on this scale? Where is your wife's sin on this scale? You know, a lot of times there's been adultery. There's been, you know, horrible things said. You know, uh, it's never just halfway. It's always up, you know. I mean, nobody ever says devil, you know, because I think they're trying to be polite. But, you know, it's up here, okay? And, and I just, I don't, I don't ever quibble with anybody. I'm like, all right, wherever, whatever. It, doesn't, it, it actually doesn't matter, okay? So where's your sin? All right, wherever, wherever you want to put yourself, okay? Another scale. How much is Jesus' life worth? Okay? How much is the sinless Son of God, creator of the universe, how much is he worth? Okay? Now, actually, there can be no top to this. Okay? Literally. Not just because we don't have enough marker and a paper. There can be no top because you will never, if you're in heaven a billion years at Jesus' side, you will never, ever get to the place where you're like, yep, that's all of his power. We exhausted it. That's all he's got. You know, you'll never get to the place where it's like, that's all the love of Jesus. That's all the mercy. No, no, yep, he's capped off. That's how much he's got. No, 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 no. It goes on infinitely, okay? And so what you have is the infinite worth of Jesus Christ and compared to your sin, which is a bunch, okay? I would actually say we're all up by the devil, all right? So we're all packed full of sin. But the good news is, is that the worth of Jesus goes on forever and it was his life that was paid for your sin how are you able to go free you were redeemed with a price first peter says the precious blood of jesus now next word the redemption that is in christ jesus verse 25 whom god Put forward. I love that. God put, put him, God put Jesus forward. God did this as a propitiation by his blood. What's the word propitiation mean? It means atoning sacrifice. It means to satisfy by sacrifice. There's a couple of key things you need to understand there. Number one, satisfy. Okay, so propitiation means something is given that satisfies the debt, the wrath that's coming. It appeases. It takes care of it. I was trying to think of an illustration for propitiation, and I could not think of a good one. So what I want to do is I want to share a bad one, okay? I'm going to share a bad illustration that doesn't really work But I think maybe by sharing it, we'll be able to show how it doesn't work and maybe it'll help you understand propitiation, okay? So I want you to picture a toddler, okay? Toddler in a sandbox, having a great time. His mom's over there. The other mom's drinking her Starbucks coffee, her good-to-go coffee, okay? Uh, Mom's over there drinking her good-to-go coffee with the other moms. They're in the sandbox. Baby's in the the toddler's in the sandbox. Toddler's digging around the sand. 
toddler finds a Cheerio. Probably been there a year or so. You know, some neighborhood cat's come, done some business on it, okay? There it is in that sand. He looks at it, eyes, blight, you know, blaze with glory and pride as he's found his treasure. And he goes to eat it. Mom throws the coffee, you know, dives over, grabs his little slobber hand, pries it out of there, throws it down. What happens? Wrath. Wrath. In that, in that toddler's mind, you have stolen his glory. You have taken from him. Unjustly. Angrily. And he is furious. What does mom do? Mom runs to the diaper bag with him in his arm. Getting the wipe out. Every remnant of that off. Reaches in, pulls out the red sucker she got at the bank, right? What is the red sucker? It's propitiation, right? She's trying to make an atoning sacrifice to appease the wrath of the toddler. Why is that a bad illustration? Well, it's a bad illustration for a couple reasons. Number one, the little dude shouldn't really be mad. Mom just saved him from three weeks of dysentery, okay? <laughs> So he shouldn't be mad, right? His, his wrath is unjust, okay? Number two, honestly, I know toddlers pretty well. I've had a lot of them. Honestly, he'd rather still have the Cheerio than the sucker. Like, like the sucker is not, you know, it really doesn't propitiate. It really doesn't satisfy his wrath. Actually, what it does is distract him. Mom's counting that he's only got so much of an attention span and that it's something red, shiny that he likes will distract him. That's all she's counting. So that's why it's a bad illustration. But, but maybe does it help you see that the wrath of Jesus is right? God must be angry with sin. I know, I know we don't like to think about that because normally we think of our anger and our anger is almost always wrong. Not, not always though. We can be righteously angry. You, when, you, when you turn on your TV and, and, and ISIS has gone in and, and taken a bunch of young, young girls and sold them into the sex trade, you ought to be angry. That ought to make you mad. There's something unrighteous about that. Okay, well, God is looking at the world. And He ought to be angry. And the only thing that can satisfy the wrath... Let me ask you this question. Does the death of the glorious Son of God, does God pouring out His wrath upon Jesus, does it satisfy? Jesus, is it, is it enough? That's a good way to ask that. Is it enough? It is enough. It is enough. And now, now, notice, verse, end of verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness. Okay? Because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you see what Paul's saying? Now the righteousness has been done. God's anger has been satisfied. He has punished sin. All sin will be punished, either in hell or in Jesus, one or the other. Your sin will be dealt with. It'll either be dealt with while you're in hell or it'll be dealt with on the cross of Jesus, but it will be dealt with. He is righteous. And at the same time, he's able to be the giver of righteousness 
to those who are connected by faith to Jesus. Paul answers the question of, How's God ever been able to pass over sin? What about, what about before people knew about Jesus? What, what about before he came? What about in the Old Testament? How were people saved then? Notice verse 26. I'm sorry, verse, end of verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. How, how, did, how did God just pass them over? Let's go back to the story of David. Remember that? So David admits a sin. God says, you've despised me. You despise my word. David confesses his sin in verse 13. 2 Samuel 12, 13. David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. How did God do that? How was God able just to put away his sin? Because he's looking to Jesus. Who would pay the price for that sin. The death of Jesus satisfies the wrath of God and enables us to be righteous. Now, Jesus is at the center of this, okay? The gospel is at the center of this. What are the implications of this being the way that we're made righteous? How are you going to be forgiven? God sending his son to be the propitiatory sacrifice, to buy you back, to redeem you, so that he can declare you righteous. That's the only way. What's the result of this? Well, the result of this is three things, okay? Number one, you get a real righteousness, a real one. See, some of you have tried to live the other way, and what you have is not a real righteousness, okay? You, you've, tried to, you've tried to offer God a few tokens of goodness in order to get right. You know what? That, that, that's a fake righteousness. That's a wannabe righteousness. That's a trying to convince yourself righteousness. That's, that's I hope I've been good enough. And, and, and I know that this takes place, because I, I talk to these people. I talk to people and I say, well, tell me about your relationship with God. You know, they tell me about their broken life. Well, tell me about your relationship with God. Well, I just hope I've been good enough. The answer to that is, I can, I can, I can give you the answer. You have not. You haven't. I mean, if that's what you're trusting in, man. You're trying to pay for this sin with, with a nickel, all right? And, and, and you can't do it. But what, what Jesus is giving us here is a real righteousness. Why, why is Paul so adamant in verse 20? By works of the law, no human being. Why, why no human being? I mean, he just wants to make sure you get it. No human being will be justified in his sight. You, you can't, whatever you do doesn't create a real righteousness. It's a fake one. That's what the Pharisees had. He's walking around trying to be better than people, making up rules. Hey, we do this, we do that. We don't do this. You do do that. I'm better than you. Man, it's all, it's all fake. But this is a real righteousness. This is a righteousness you're able to stand upon. It's not a yo-yo righteousness. A lot, a lot of Christians live in this yo-yo righteousness, and it's because they're not looking at the gospel, Okay? So it's like they have a week where they had their quiet time, you know, four times. And uh, they turned the other cheek once, which was like a monumental feat for them. And they feel like, man, God is really happy with me. You know, they come to church the next day. Man, sing today. I had a great week. The next week. And they're busy. They're distracted. Their Bible reading stinks. They blow up at their kids. They come to church the next week, all head hung low. I've blown it. God doesn't want me here. I'm not going to go to a small group. I don't want anybody to know who I really am. You see, that's a yo-yo. That's a, that's a fake righteousness. 
You, you never had it. Okay, real righteousness is righteousness not in what I do or don't do. Because here's the reality. If I live on my best day every day, it still doesn't accomplish much. It's Jesus' righteousness that I stand upon. That's the righteousness that gives safety and security. You know what happens when you have a real righteousness? You, you are driven to run hard to Jesus. Let me prove that to you. So Hebrews 4. He does this over and over again in Hebrews. I'm going to give you two examples, okay? Two examples. Okay, here, here's, the, here's the thought pattern of Hebrews. Okay, so Hebrews 4.14. Since, that's a great word, since or because we have a great high priest. Where's he looking? He's looking to Jesus. What Jesus did for us. Who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are yet without sin. Where's he looking? He's saying, my Jesus was awesome. My Jesus didn't sin. My Jesus is the perfect high priest. The next verse. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See the thought there? The thought there is, because Jesus is awesome, because he's my righteous, I'm running to him to get everything I need for today. Hebrews 10. Same thing. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since, there's the same word, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, by what? By my own good deeds, because I read my Bible this week? No, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, again, he's pointed to you, look at what Jesus did, look at what Jesus did over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. That's small groups. Essentially what Hebrews 10 is saying is because of what Jesus did, because of the blood on the cross, because of his high priest work on our behalf, let's go to small groups. And let's, let's, let's encourage one another to love and good deeds. Let's build each other up. You see, it's fuel. It's fuel. The gospel is fuel that takes you hard to Jesus. It defines us. People have an identity crisis, okay? Everybody's looking for, why am, why am I, what makes me important? What makes me special? What makes me okay? You know, there are people today that spent three hours in front of the mirror trying to get it all just right. Because, well, you know why? Their identity, by the way, I wasn't one of those, so don't, you know, don't be expecting much, okay? Their identity is in, I, I got to be pretty. I, I, I got to look good. Some folks will, will work hard and they'll mortgage. And I mean, they'll, they'll go into debt and they'll do it all in secret so nobody knows so they can drive something or live in something or have something that makes, this makes me important. Makes, I, I, I'm significant. I'm someone. On and on and on. Position, job, whatever. But here's, here's what the gospel does. I'm okay. Why? Because God declared me to be okay. I'm important. Why? Because I'm in Jesus. My future's bright. Why? 
Because I'm in Christ. I have hope. Why? Because of Christ's work on the cross on my behalf. I was thinking about our brothers and sisters in India. Another pastor was killed two weeks ago. Pastor's son was killed last week. Murdered. I was reading the Baptist Press yesterday. Up north of where we work in New Delhi, whole bands of mobs of Hindus are coming and and dragging pastors out in the open and, and forcing them to reconvert, which basically they're, they're not reconverting, but they'll take them, they'll put the red dot on their head, they'll go through all the ceremony. They ba- force them in, back into Hinduism is what they're trying to do. You know, when everybody's telling you you're a fool and you're ridiculous, you, you know what you need? You need a real righteousness. Does that make sense? One, that's, one that you can, you can in your heart and mind know God delights in me because of what Christ has done. Second thing, verse 27. There's no boasting. No boasting. Notice what Paul says. Because of what, what we just learned about what Jesus did for us, what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. Okay. In other words, because of the gospel, our pride is cut off. Right? I mean, it's cut off. It's the thing that keeps us from God anyway. And now, instead of always spotlighting ourselves... We got the spotlight on Jesus. We're, the spotlight is on Him. Okay, remember what's the root of sin? Romans one twenty three. It's we don't want God. God, I don't want you. I'm not interested in you. I'm interested in me. Right? There, there's a lot of people that in religion they're still living that way. The spotlight is not on Christ. It's not on the gospel. It's on me. It's on my works, my good deeds. Number three. Believing this gospel stirs up our faith. Now, the only way you get to Christ is by faith. But as we look at the gospel, this is one of the reasons we need to have sermons like this, is because these are the things that stir up our faith. Looking at Jesus. So essentially what we just did, right? What did we just do? We just said, okay, here's the answer for the world. Here's how the world is righteous. Here's the answer for me. The answer for me is is looking at the, the, the propitiatory sacrifice of Jesus Christ on my behalf to buy me back, to redeem me from my sins so that God declares me to be righteous. And in looking at that, we're like, wow, look at what God has done. Look at the power of Jesus. Look at the love of Jesus. Look at the grace of Jesus. And the more I look at that, the more I am stirred up to trust Him in my daily life. You know one of the things that people are worried about? I bet you there's people in this room right now that are worried about what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm focusing completely on the work of Jesus for us, right? And they're going to say, man, pastor, you keep doing that. You know what people are going to do? They're going to walk out of here and they're going to say, well, man, he says that, you know, it's all up to Jesus. So I'm not going to do anything. You know, I'm just going to stay in my sin. I'm just going to, you know, keep, keep living for my selfishness if Jesus is going to do it all. There's a couple problems with that. Number one. If that's your heart, then you're not connected to him by faith. Okay, we're talking about that next week, all right? You're not connected to him by faith, so you're not a believer to begin with, okay? But the the second problem with that is that here's where the power is. Where is the power for you to turn the other cheek? Where is the power for you to flee from your sin? It's not in yourself to begin with. Where is it at? It's in Christ. And so the, what the gospel does is it forces us to rely upon Jesus alone. It drives us back to say, Jesus, you're my only hope. You're what I need. i got to depend on you. That's where the power, that's where you get plugged in. 
to the power to walk into work and the annoying person steps up and does their annoying thing. The power to turn the other cheek, the power to love that person and not knock their teeth out does not come from your will. It comes from you trusting that Jesus is right, that He's good, that He provides, that He satisfies, that His glory is what you need. That's how you walk away from that deal. And so the more, the more you rest upon the gospel, the more your faith is stirred to live out the Christian life. This is how it goes. It's from faith and to faith. A lot of people almost act like, well, you come to Jesus through the gospel, but then after that, well, you just, just forget about the gospel. Now you just got to really try hard, you know? Well, do you have to try hard? Yeah. I mean, is, is, is it hard to, to, to fight? Yeah, it, it's hard, okay? But the power is in trusting Jesus. The power is depending on Jesus. The power is me saying, all right, Jesus, you're right. I trust you. I believe you. And that is stirred up by our confidence in what he's done for us, appropriating the gospel on our behalf. <coughs> Father, I pray that you would help us to trust you. Father, we, uh, we marvel here today that you pulled this off. God, it, it would seem that there would be no way for you to let us go, for you to release us, for you to forgive us, for us to be righteous. God, that, there's no way in us. But God, we marvel today that you made a way that you sent Christ to be our sacrifice, that you poured your wrath out upon him to redeem us that we might be in him. Father, I pray that that message would stir up our faith. I pray that that message would, would drive us to boldness, to have our identity in you. God, to love you more and more. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name.